Hi, my name is Ali Reza Mujibian, and welcome to Noteworthy. The Opera Box Company was created during the height of the quarantine in Vancouver by a group of friends and colleagues. For today's episode, I am joined by two of the company's founding members, pianist Perry Lowe and tenor Martin Renner Wallace. They joined me today to talk about this new project, what they are planning for the months to come, and I asked them for their input on the state of the arts and what they hope for as we move towards a post-quarantine future. Welcome to you both. Um, Perry, other than passing interactions at VO rehearsals, this is our first conversation. Again, welcome and uh, thank you for coming on. If I'm not mistaken, you are relatively new to Vancouver, having moved here a few years ago to join the Vancouver Opera as a member of the Yolanda M. Ferris Young Artist Program. Where in Canada are you originally from, and how did your journey as a musician begin? So I'm originally from Calgary, Alberta, so the side of the country. And my musical journey began, like most pianists, as a solo pianist. I did my undergrad at the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario, and I took a course in uh, vocal repertoire with John Hess. Um, it was a fantastic course, um, performing different repertoire, mostly art song uh, with singers. And that was my first dabble into working with singers. And then I went to McGill for my master's, um, still in solo piano. I loved um, the whole solo repertoire and um, wanted to keep up uh, my technique. And I took a, an incredible song interpretation course with Michael McMahon. Um, and then after that, I was working for a couple smaller independent companies in Montreal, and I knew I wanted to further my skills as a repetiteur and as a vocal coach. Um, so I went to the University of Toronto. They have an opera diploma specifically in repetitoring, which is great because we got to um, play in the rehearsals, um, participate in diction classes, movement classes, um, recits, and just learning really like the ins and outs of a production of an opera. Um, and then I auditioned for the VO Young Artist Program, the Yolanda M. Ferris, um, and made the big trek across the country and ended up here and it's been a great it was a great year um this is 2018 to 19. What is your the favorite your favorite opera that you've worked on so far? Ooh I really enjoyed my time with Cenerentola last year that was our last um opera at VO at at the same time as Faust uh it was just a great group of uh singers um we were rehearsing at the Russian Hall just a really a smaller, intimate space that Stella was conducting, and we had a really nice, small ensemble. Um, and I really, the colleagues, I think, make um, a really lasting impression. And then when you have great relationships with everyone, and um, yeah, then there's just more room for flexibility and creativity to come throughout the rehearsal process. Martin, you and I have known each other for a few years now, and uh, we've had the opportunity to work together on stage. Uh, I know you were raised in Victoria, but how did your journey as a musician shape up? Uh, have you stuck to your, did you stick to your roots, or did you also move away for school and uh, work at some point? I mean, for myself, I started in uh, my undergraduate at the University of Victoria, and uh, I was lucky enough that uh, while I was there, I was I got to perform with the Pacific Opera Victoria's Young Artist Program when they had one uh, a few years ago. 
which was just a fantastic experience. And uh, so, you know, after finishing working with the, the opera company and the university over in Victoria, I auditioned for school tours with the Vancouver Opera Company. Uh, at which point I, I got, uh, to come over and do 137 performances of the Barber of Seville for elementary schools. Is that the same one that you did? Um, did you do that with Lucas von Lirup? Uh, no, I, my cast was, uh, Michael Nyby. Uh, we had Diana Antel, now Diana Gutierrez. And then, uh, we also had, uh, uh, Joel, uh, Oh my God, I can't remember. Uh, a fantastic baritone, uh, by the name of Joel. Uh, <laughs> it'll come to me at the end of this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, we had a fantastic cast and, uh, Anne Hodges rewrote, uh, the Barber of Barkerville so that, uh, it, it was in the Barkerville Gold Rush era, era. And, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic show that, uh, that got me into Vancouver. And, uh, so I, uh, once I was here, I switched over and did my master's at the University of British Columbia, and uh, I got married here, and uh, that, this is where my wife and I have uh, decided to make our home. Uh, Perry, you made a really in, uh, great point that uh, a lot of the work that we do um, is not only shaped by uh, the the love and care that we have for um, these pieces, but it's also really about the people who we get to work with and who we get to collaborate with. Um, in addition to yourselves, you have two other fantastic artists working uh, on this project, the, the Opera Box Company, with you, uh, mezzo-soprano Emma Parkinson and soprano Chloe Hurst. Um, so this is a question to the both of you. Um, where did the idea of the Opera Box Company come from, and how did the four of you go about putting it together? I mean, we, we knew each other all from previous, uh, working relationships. We, we had been working together, uh, Perry as a pianist and, uh, uh, Chloe and I did a master's together. Emma, uh, you know, as well, we, we've sung so, so many operas and concerts together. Um, so about mid-March, uh, you know, the, the three of us singers in Perry, uh, we had sort of planned a dinner, uh, to get together and talk about various projects that we thought we might like to do and that would be fun. And, you know, we could, uh, sort of build our, our repertoire and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, make opera a more prevalent thing out there. Uh, unfortunately, of course, COVID happened and, uh, that was not to happen at all. So we ended up, uh, moving the meeting online. And so we had a big Zoom meeting and out of that, we decided to create Opera Box. Uh, you know, the, the idea of not singing for such a long time or not playing, not, not creating music was, uh, you know, not, a. a a good thought for most of us, I think. And so we decided that, you know, live operas is a really fantastic thing. You, you really, you can't get that feeling really anywhere else. But, you know, we decided to look into virtual opera and see what we could do with it and see how we could make opera relevant and interesting, uh, while still being in, uh, you know, in a virtual medium rather than live. Because, uh, I mean, there is obviously something missing from not having the singers and that orchestra and the chorus and all those people in front of you. Um, so we decided that, uh, we would do the Lucia di Lamamore sextet and, uh, and, you know, we also sort of discovered while we were talking, hey, you know, we can use 
singers from all across the country if we want. Now we've decided to focus on using West Coast singers and, uh, you know, and trying to keep this massive, diverse pool of singers and artists. Uh, you know, so that we really get a, a flavor of what opera can bring and what you can do with this virtual medium bringing everyone together through opera. If I can ask, who's on your uh, roster right now? I know uh, you, um, the couple of videos that you've you've posted so far, uh, Soprano Tamar Simon uh, was in one of your videos. Uh, same with uh, uh, baritone uh, Jeffrey Schellenberg uh, and Brandon Thornhill. Who else is on your roster? Oh my, uh, we have rather a lot. Uh, so we, we've actually talked to a number of singers and we, we actually have, uh, programming planned out for until December of 2020. Uh, now not all of it has been cast as of yet, but, uh, I mean, in my inbox right now from various singers, uh, I mean, I have, um, recordings from, uh, mezzo Katie Miller, uh, baritone Michael Nyby, tenor Scott Rumble. Um, uh, we have, oh, Perry, who, who else do we have? <laughs> I mean, our, our goal is to have like such a, cons- um, constantly like having new singers, um, brought on. So, um, whether they've lived in BC in the past or are currently living in BC, we, um, ended up kind of reaching across Canada. Um, we have tenor Spencer Britton. We have baritone Aaron Durand, um, mezzo soprano Simran Claire, Peter Monahan. And this will definitely keep growing as we, uh, discover new works that we want to produce and, there will be there's an endless supply so what have you enjoyed most about it in the last couple of months you said you the the conversation happened around march Uh, when was the first show released and what kind of feedback have you gotten so far so our first um video that we released was the lucia sextet this was martin can you refresh my memory this was mid-may uh, yeah, it was right in the middle of May we ended up releasing, releasing the Lucia Sextet. Um, and it was a great, yeah, great response. Um, lots of positive feedback. It was really kind of the first thing that we wanted to release with six amazing singers. And Martin did an excellent job editing. And um, we realized like you need the 50% of excellent, strong singers audio and also 50% of it is the video, the visual. Um, you know, that's what we have to work with. And Martin had great, um, staging ideas. Um, and Chloe and Emma too on how to, you know, get the right angles. There's, you know, relationships between singers happening and you're looking down at one singer or you're looking up, um, you know, and, um, really connecting between the singers. Um, so since then, we've been releasing a video a week on Wednesday. Um, we've had either musical ensembles released. Um, our latest one was um, the Elixir Trio. And we also have an Opera Box Talks segment. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen the most recent one, but the, the one with Aaron Durand. I, yes. I just, I it just couldn't stop laughing. Just, it just nonstop for what, 10 minutes? You know, the best part about that is, is Chloe Hurst and, uh, Aaron Durand there, they, they pretty much improvised the entire thing. They, I mean, they, they sort of talked about some general ideas, but then they just filmed it. 
With regards to uh, the other video you just mentioned, Perry, uh, the Elixir Trio, uh, one of my favorite parts about it was, um, and you made mention of this already, the fact that um, Martin and Chloe are, uh, you're having to find new ways of of uh, directing opera through a lens. And the reality is that none of these singers are with you um as you're directing them. So these are notes that you're giving them and then they're having to record uh, these um, pieces at home. Um, could you walk me through uh, how you start picking with the picking of music? I'm assuming the roster has to do something with it, but how you pick the music and how the rehearsing takes place and then recording and editing? So it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation um, for the pieces that we choose. Uh, we usually have a brainstorming session, the four of us, and we, like I said earlier, we constantly want to think of new artists to feature. And with that, we think of, oh, well, this artist would be great in this role. And so let's see if we can, you know, um, gather up the other singers to fill out this ensemble. Um, although sometimes we're just dying to put together a specific ensemble and then from there we go and um, choose our singers. Um, so we record the, uh, the piano accompaniment and oftentimes I am providing a conducting video so they can see the, uh, the singers will see me conducting and they will hear my audio. And for certain complex ensembles, we would have the singers layered one on top of another. And Martin will explain a bit more on that scope. That's sort of his lane <laughs> um, and I stick mostly to the to the musical lane and I once we send off the videos for the singers to work with I would um, write you know musical notes and it is very strange to be conducting with no sound and no singers in front of me but very very useful uh, tool and <laughs> uh, skill to learn. So uh, on the recording side of things I mean we've decided to use all cell phones. Um, so everyone is recording video on their cell phone, uh, which seems to work because most people have a, you know, a phone that records in at least 1080. Uh, otherwise, I mean, we did one video we shot actually in 4K. Um, but for the purposes of most people looking on an iPhone or an iPad, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. Uh, so, you know, the big thing for us is we, we insist that everyone uses some sort of additional microphone. And luckily, because of additions and the way everything is, you know, slowly being transitioning to being virtual that way, most singers have a microphone kicking around the house anyways. Can you speak to us about, uh, can you give us some sneak peeks um, as to what you're planning? You said you had um, uh, pieces in mind and, 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 and a structure in mind for all the way up to December. Uh, but what's coming up most, uh, most recently? So, uh, I mean, this week that's going on, we have uh, uh, selections from Porgy and Bess, just fantastic singers and you know it's really such a uh, fantastic opportunity to have been granted by the uh, Gershwin estate to be able to put some of these on YouTube and air because uh, yeah we, we obviously had to write for uh, permission to get that from the editor and the Gershwin estate um, 
Yeah, so that's fantastic. And that's going on all this week here in August. Um, other than that, we have some fantastic selections from, uh, you know, Mozart and Rossini, uh, you know, coming up in the future. And uh, we have some plans for hopefully some stuff that uh, with uh, some instrumentalists coming on as well. So it's expanding. Yeah, ex expanding and trying to make it, uh, you know, more and, and, you know, give people a little bit more of what they're missing in their, you know, weekly, daily, et cetera, <laughs> classical music, uh, you know, uh, indulgence. And, and, you know, one of the, I mean, for uh, this quarantine has obviously wreaked uh, havoc on many artists' careers and, and, and lives, and, and we will ultimately get back to some sense of normality but um again to to make my point seeing this kind of innovation um i think in the long term will have a huge effect on how people incorporate um our art form or any classical art form into their homes um and reconnect with it on a more personal level than than um than before and with regards to the quarantine um how if i can ask how has the quarantine been for you on a personal level and um how have you been coping with the fallout i'd say in the early days of the quarantine back in march um it was really a moment for me to catch my breath and I was um, mid-opera um, school, uh, VO, sorry, VOIS, uh, Vancouver Opera and School tour in Victoria, and we were told to go back to our respective homes. And it was a moment for me to evaluate what's really important in my personal and professional life and, you know, thinking of how we can be part of some change that's happening in our communities and how can we do that through opera and through our passions. Um and through that, you know, with Opera Box, we really kind of just turned on the light bulbs and have been creative in many different ways and have all taken on roles um, that, you know, we never thought we would be in, um, you know, five months ago. Um, so for me, later, in the later end of the quarantine, I, you know, found moments of inspiration. Um, I've kind of gotten more into conducting, which I hadn't had so much um, experience and opportunities to do before and just, you know, finding really different ways to collaborate. Chloe and Emma aren't here, but I can say that we've all definitely, you know, expanded our skills and just developed, um, ways to stay creative and, um, creating opera during this time. So, um, there have def definitely been some silver linings throughout this quarantine. Uh, Martin, and for yourself? Well, you know, that middle of March when, uh, you know, quarantine came down and everything, uh, yeah, there was a lot of panic. <laughs> I, I personally was hired on as a singer with the Vancouver Opera as a soloist to sing in, uh, the, another brick in the wall opera based on the Pink Floyd album. Uh, so of course, I mean, like so many artists across the country, I got a cancellation email from the company and, uh, you know, I directly phoned, uh, my agent for TV and film, uh, because that's the other area that I work in primarily is, is, uh, is TV and film and, uh, was also informed from him that the industry was completely shutting down. So, uh, yeah, for myself, uh, you know, that suddenly from, being very, very comfortably employed for, you know, several months in the future to having absolutely nothing was shocking. Um, you know, so 
I mean, luckily, uh, I, I'm very grateful, you know, to the government of Canada for instituting the CERB. And, uh, you know, that, that helped a lot as an artist. Uh, and then, you know, managed to pull it together. And of course, TV and film is, uh, is slowly going back to work now. Um, that said, you know, it, we, everyone is trying to find ways to fulfill their, you know, artistic inspirations. And, uh, that's been one of the things that's been so fantastic with opera boxes is actually being able to blend my experience working in TV and film and bringing that to opera, you know, at the same time, you know, it's, it's been a massive learning curve for me as well, because, uh, it's one thing to be working on set and everything. It's a completely different thing to suddenly be breaking out the video editing programs and learning, uh, you know, a whole new side of technology that, you know, you'd only ever previously done in tiny little bits for an addition video here or, you know, maybe a little YouTube thing. But uh, so or becoming a director. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, one of the main reasons that uh, that I, I do a fair amount of the directing is is uh, is actually purely related to my video editing skills and, you know, saying, hey, I have an idea, this program that I'm using, I can do this with it. So if we record this this way, we can, you know, we can cut it so that, uh, you know, people are looking at each other or so that they're moving around the screens and, uh, you know, try to create something more interesting as we were talking about earlier you know that element of trying to bring something to opera that you can't get on stage so that it replaces that element of live performance uh and yeah so that's that's been one of the really interesting things about you know this entire quarantine and the lack of live opera out there is being exploring how we can move into different ways you you mentioned the support from the Canadian government and going into um, a post-Serb period and uh, um, the realities of coming out of uh, lockdown quarantine and going into situational uh, moments, what can the government and... Uh, what can the government and what can communities across BC and Canada do to help artists and and uh, arts organizations from your point of view? That's a really difficult one. I mean, the reality is, is CERB has been very useful and fantastic. And, you know, it, it has helped a lot of artists I know slip by. But the reality is, is that, you know, when you're talking about singers and actors and musicians, you're talking about incredibly highly trained skilled professionals who have decades of learning i mean most musicians uh, i know started their instruments when they were children and studied all the way through elementary school and high school and have bachelor's degrees master's degrees um you know and then on top of that have con continued uh, professional development and working so you're talking about a really highly skilled group of people that make decent money in the long run. Uh, so that's something that is just, I mean, you know, something like CERB is never going to replace. Only going back to work in the arts is going to replace that. And which we come to the difficulty of especially live performance of, you know, things like symphonies and operas and stage, uh, you know, stage uh, theater and musicals. They, they sort of have three main ways of supporting their companies. They get support from the government through grants and through various initiatives. That provides some money to go into the coffers to produce these works. Um, they get sponsorship from corporations. 
uh, you know, we've all seen things like TELUS and RBC. They do fantastic works in the arts. Uh, over in Alberta, you have, uh, you know, groups like Suncor and Synovus and then private donors as well. So, you know, which is really a, a lot of the driving force behind opera companies and other arts companies. But really the big thing is, is also ticket sales. I mean, the reality is, is the more complicated the art form gets, the more tickets you have to be able to sell out to be able to afford that. I, I know for opera, I, I don't imagine any of, you know, the opera companies can really afford to put on the production without selling at least 70% of their tickets to a show, you know? So the reality is, is that talking about you know, reducing a theater's capacity to a place where you can social distance is just not possible. Because, to, you know, we're, we're talking about operas that are selling a massive number of tickets, and the Queen Elizabeth uh, seats, what, uh, over 2,800 people. You know, if we have to take out two-thirds of the seats for, you know, them people to be able and groups to be able to social distance properly... Uh, you know, and that's not even, you know, considering the lobby spaces and the bathrooms and, you know, all of those facilities, you know, it, it's just not realistic to be able to put, you know, it back to work on a purely financial aspect. There's, there's no way you can bring the money to the opera companies to be able to account for that, you know, lack of ticket sales. So, I mean, uh, I think we are going to need to see from the government and from, you know, corporations as well. I, I think we're going to need to see a large uptick in funding to be able to put back to doing live performances on a greatly reduced audience spectrum. Because, uh, you know, as much as virtual things and TV uh, are, are fantastic mediums for art, there, there really is something special and unique about going to see a live performance. So moving into uh, September and October, um, how can your audience members help support the uh, Opera Box company? Views are everything. I mean, we're, we're trying to get as many people seeing it. We're trying to open up opera to new people. So going and watching those videos, clicking on subscribe links on YouTube, you know, following us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, you know, and, uh, and, you know, putting suggestions out there for what people want to see, what people like, what people don't like, so that we can, you know, we can change and we can tailor our, you know, our sort of virtual art form to what people want to see out there. Yeah, I'd say at the basis, you know, when we first started Opera Box, it was a lot of um, ensembles and projects that we really feel strongly about that we would love to sing and perform and share and ultimately it's our audiences that you know we want um, this to be enjoyable for them we want them to look forward to the next week's uh, episode um, whether we have themes going on and you know on a smaller scale or larger scale it's something that um, we want to have like a, a dual partnership with them you know things that we can suggest and um, repertoire that maybe they've never heard before and things that they really want to hear um, yeah I think that's kind of our goal in the long run before we finish your conversation for today I, I always ask um, uh, our guests what they're listening to during quarantine or what's been the highlight of um, their Spotify 
uh, on their Spotify that they can't stop listening to. And I know in your cases, uh, you've been listening to a lot of pieces in terms of um, coming up with with new programming ideas moving into the fall. But are there any unique pieces on your personal uh, uh, podcast list that uh, you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience? I mean, from my perspective, I just watched Hamilton on Disney Plus for the first time, and oh my god, I, mind blown! I cannot get that thing out of my head. That that that. Oh man, <laughs> it is it is catchy as anything. Um, which is interesting because you know my wife and I actually had a long conversation about how to bring elements of something like Hamilton into opera. Uh, you know, so that that's been on uh, on my playlist a lot, just listening to it and hearing it, and of course, you know, the uh, wonderful earworms, which we won't stick you. With, but go watch on Disney Plus or something because, uh, oh my God, it's catchy. And for yourself, Perry? Uh, yeah, I also recently watched Hamilton. It was excellent. Um, just everything about like the whole videography and the choreography, like every character is invested, every, you know, um, person at the bar or someone in the back, you know, at, the, at a ball is just, yeah, they have a story and they're very um, well invested in it. Um, as for my personal playlist, I, I've been actually doing a lot of instrumental and chamber music as well as opera lately. So, uh, I've been working with a violinist and cellist just, um, you know, for our own personal enjoyment. And we've been working on the Brahms trio in B major, um, one of his, his first trio. And it's, yeah, just a beautiful, luscious, you know, everything you want out of Brahms <laughs> um, piece. And I, yeah, I guess for me, it's it's been very soothing and meditative. And um, yeah, one way to feel therapeutic um, in working with other people. So. You can follow Perry, Martin, and the whole company on Instagram and Facebook. And be sure to watch out for their production of Porgy and Bess out this week. As always, make sure to support your local arts and cultural institutions. Thank you for listening.